0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Hello, 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 and one more time. Hello to you all. Welcome the Indie Football Podcast. Indeed, welcome back to regular listeners. If this is your first time, take off your shoes and get comfortable. I'm Ed and your host for a podcast which will today whisk through each of the Premier, League's game, the Premier League games worth talking about at least before taking stock at the halfway point of the season and looking at some overachievers and underachievers. Speaking of underachievers, I am not alone and I'm flanked by two of the finest football writers in the capital. First of all, we have Jack Brook, fresh from a busy week last week. Hello, Jack.
3: Hi, Ed. How are you doing?
2: I'm very good. Thank you. How was your weekend, sir?
3: Uh, Very good. Thanks. I went to Arsenal against Newcastle United
2: Um, a thriller I'm sure can't wait to hear all about that and on my other side making his debut We have the baby faced assassin Lawrence (laughs) Osler Larry. How nervous are you on a scale of 1 to 10?
0: Um, about four? Uh,
2: f- uh, ten, is it? Okay, <laughs> so that explains all the wet patches. Uh, Larry and Jack in the house today uh, for what should be a belting uh, kind of mid-season edition because we won't probably have a podcast next week, I think, because of uh, that Christmas thing or what you know, whatever you celebrate in your own home. winterval, let's call it. So, let's begin with, uh, chronologically actually, I just want to go for all the Saturday games uh, even if some don't get the, uh, the same time as others. I'm looking at Brighton Burnley uh, Leicester nil Crystal Palace three on Saturday lunchtime uh, which I'm sure we all watched uh, Roy Hodgson has lifted Crystal Palace not only out the relegation zone but up to the dizzying heights of lower mid table uh, with a 3-0 win Benteke finally breaking that goal duck uh, especially after everything that happened with that penalty uh, Wilfred Zaha uh, scored a great goal as of uh, as always and uh, Bakri Sakho came on and kind of scored a one of those classic ninety-fourth minute, we were already winning, and this will seal it. Games. So, um,
3: Palace Jack revived. Will they survive? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I thought since quite early on under Hodgson getting there that they'd be able to, because they've got they've got goals in the team. I mean, ultimately, I think that the most important person for them staying up isn't Hodgson; it's Wilfred Zahar. Like, there is no like he's he's the best player in the bottom half by a distance. No one else has got anyone quite like him. Uh, and then on top of that, they've got other decent enough players in Bentaygi and Townsend, um, which makes me think that as long as he could, as long as Hodgson could get the organisation right, then they probably had enough time to do it. Like he came in with what thirty-two games left.
2: Yeah, I had a lot of time. He had a lot of time. Um, you've got, I, I guess, uh, having those the, the attack. You know, it's always important, and we see these teams at the bottom half. They always try and get really organised, and I think. That's three clean sheets away from home in a row, which obviously speaks to to Hodgson's organisation. But the key thing is being able to score goals. And a lot of the teams at the bottom, especially in January, will be looking for a striker, someone who can score. And at the moment, Palace have two players who, if Benteke gets back to form, and he is quite a streaky forward who goes through these runs without goals. And then he'll come back and score. So that's seven in five. If he's about to go on one of those runs, I know they've got a few tough fixtures coming up with Arsenal and Man City, but if he goes on one of those runs, I think Palace are fine. Larry, uh, from what you've seen of Palace recently, um, they must be, you know, mid-tabling, do you think?
0: I think so. I think I think back to when I think it was Frank Lampard on BT Sport after maybe six games, seven games in, probably just after yeah. Coombe got sacked. And he was asked... De Boer. Uh, sorry, De Boer got sacked. Old, I
2: know all Dutch look the same <laughs> to you, uh, but they're not.
0: Early... Earlier, um, and they, and Lampard said that he thought uh, he was asked, "Can they stay up?" And he said, "No, you can't stay up if you've basically given up the first six, seven games of the season." And I kind of thought, "Yeah, but they were only four, maybe five points away from safety at mm-hmm. that point." So I, th- I just feel like it's such a tight the, the league table as it is now. I think you wrote a piece about this, Ed, recently. Um, it's, it's always going to be just a matter of a few points that between the teams that stay up and the, that team that finishes eighteenth. And so if you can get that little bit of a run going, that bit of organisation, a goal scorer who suddenly hits a bit of form. You can, three or four games' time, get yourself out of that sticky situation.
2: Well, that's it. that piece you're talking about, which obviously you can read at independent.co.uk slash football, um, you know, it's probably around there still. Basically, it was a, a preview to the Palace game saying that the fact that Palace have actually managed to go out of the relegation zone last Tuesday night, even if it was only for 24 hours before West Brom went back above them, shows just exactly how kind of stuck together that mid table well not even mid table it's the bottom half the bottom 11 teams jack looking at now i've got the league table in front of me fortunately 10 points separates 9th and 20th um swansea kind of falling off a little bit but you know between 17th and uh, 11th is five points that you can win a couple of games and suddenly you're flying up the table you know, Palace have got to play Arsenal, Man City and a couple of other more difficult games uh, in January and they could easily drop back into the mix. It's going to be one of those things this season, I think, where all those teams are clumped together. Do we think this is kind of a reflection of the just the top six having much greater resources now and being able to pull away? Or is this is this something else?
3: Yeah, I think it is in part to do with, with the, the sense that we now have two different leagues. That is the top six and the bottom 14. Obviously, some of the bottom 14 are better than others like Everton or Southampton. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a lot of teams there where if you only because they are only thinking about survival, it's difficult for them to aim higher than that. Yes. Like this is the classic Tony Pulis problem that you get to 40 points and the players give up. Um but I do think we are going to see uh, you know not not an awful lot of differentiation in the bottom end until the end of the season. It will be very tight to see who goes down because with the possible exception of Swansea. I don't think anybody will kind of fall off the cliff and, so, I, I think and Swansea, stick in the 20s of points.
2: I get the impression that Swansea might roll the dice and, and, and bin Clement at some point, just because you have to. You know, when you're in that situation, there are, there is always the team that rolls the dice and sacks the manager and doesn't improve. But there is always the team that sacks the manager and does improve. You know, we see it every year. It's the same that there are a few different outcomes and some guys will stick with their manager and and it'll work out and some will stick by maybe Stoke with Mark Hughes and it won't work out and you go down the last day. The thing about the relegation battle, I guess, is we're looking at a league now where we might not have a title race, you know, at all, basically. If City do run away with it, um, mild spoiler, they smashed another team this weekend. Um, If they do run away with it, then what we've got the top four thing to look forward to, which is always interesting because Champions League football does mean a lot, um, both kind of financially and in terms of importance, but actually just for these teams, it's a huge thing like for Arsenal it's a massive mental psychological blow to not be in the Champions League this year, but we need a good relegation battle. You know, it would be wonderful to have one of those things where you get like six teams on the last day that can go down and, and the bottom three are all kind of still in the mix. But it might not necessarily be that way, uh, but I just do think that is an interesting thing we're seeing with the mid-table clubs. Like Leicester looked like they were pulling away from that mid-table. Or the, the bottom half group dragged straight back in um, and, uh, what's his name, and Didi, uh is suspended now, red card on his 21st birthday. So so he'll be out. The game you were out on Saturday uh, involves one of those teams, Newcastle United, and they went to Arsenal where they lost just 1-0. Uh, fair result?
3: Um, no, not really. Arsenal should have won by more um it was a g- It was a game that you see an awful lot of nowadays in the Premier League, and this is something that which I wrote in a piece on Friday afternoon, um, where the like the big team just dominates the ball for almost the entire match, creates lots of chances against a smaller team which has no interest really in doing anything else. like um Arsenal should really have scored four or five uh but then because they didn't, with about fifteen minutes left, Newcastle started throwing men forward. Uh, they actually created a few chances for themselves. And all, I mean, they didn't quite put Arsenal under siege because they weren't good enough. But they, I mean, Rafa was smart enough to realise that if they went and played open, they'd get destroyed. And therefore, their best way of maximising their chances was to hang on, hope that they can stay in the game, which they did. And then tr- see if they can nick something at the end.
2: Martin Hardy, uh, our guy in the Northeast, wrote a piece last week about, well, I mean, apart from the fact that the takeover seems to be. Likely to go through in January, so they will be able to buy players at least, um, which was the big fear if this thing dragged on. Um, but there is a little bit of a tide turning against, not necessarily Rafa, but you know, people. The Newcastle fans are very unhappy at the moment. They, they see this kind of slide down the table, and they're worried because, as we've discussed, that entire bottom half can change in uh, any given moment uh, in a reshuffle. What do you think? Uh, what do you think of Newcastle?
3: Well, I think Rafa's. The problem is that Raf has said that he, he's been pretty open that the squad isn't good enough. He's been saying that all, all the way through the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last two windows, yeah. basically, they
2: failed to buy he's been hammered, where he wants. He's
3: been hammering Mike Ashley for not giving him what he thinks is the squad that he needs. And he's even said, you know, look at the pointing at Joseloo, like, look at these guys that they're not, you know, I haven't got enough money to get kind of Premier League level players. And I think that's true. Like, I don't disagree with his analysis. And when you watch them play the other day, they did look like a championship team, Like, there is very, very little quality there. However, the problem with this is that by by saying that that openly, you are. I wonder h- h- if that might damage his relationship with the players. Because if you're telling the players that you don't think they're good enough to stay in the Premier League, then I wonder what that's going to do to motivation. I mean, certainly, I mean, I don't watch. I don't watch you every week, but I don't necessarily get the impression that the players are giving 110 percent in order to to get them out of it. And. While Rafa, it's true to say that Rafa might be able to save it in January with a few signings when the money comes in. By saying that, by saying that only with money can we save ourselves, you are kind of writing up all the games between that be, be, Before then, like Newcastle have got, what, another four or five games until the, the signings will start showing up. And Rafa's basically said, well, what are we going to do? The players are rubbish.
2: Yeah, it's, it's very Rafa, isn't it? The kind of, uh, I sometimes feel, like, and this is one of the bigger problems that he had in Madrid, was players felt he lacked empathy you know, he, he sees them as commodities to achieve the result that he is paid to achieve, but not necessarily. He, he isn't necessarily the best in terms of emotionally dealing with players, you know, and that they, they are complex
3: beings. Well, what's interesting is that he's very, he's very, very good at emotionally dealing with fans. Mm. Like, and that's kind of what's been going on. They love it. I mean, they're only, right. they've always been, onside. been playing Rafa has successfully been playing the fans off against Ashley. And the fans love him, and the fans sing his name every week, and that's really, you know, that is a function of Rafa's political skill. But the loser, I want, I wonder whether the loser in that might be his relationship with the players, because by by he's basically, I mean, he's basically using the players as a crowbar to get a Ash- to get a Ashley to solidify himself
0: with the pl- with the fans. But the problem is that the team keeps losing. It's fine because that aspect of Rafa got the best Stephen Gerrard always says it got the best out of him, doesn't he? He says that that. Really knocked him that Rafa never made it clear quite how he felt about him, and therefore Gerard want, wanted to go out there and prove a point and sort of gain his affection. Perhaps there's an element of can Rafa get a little bit of that from his current squad? A that's bit. a very,
2: but that, I mean that that
0: Stevie, but uh, sorry not to use yeah.
2: his real name, that's Gerard's mindset. Yeah. So like, which is great. Because you know he was a player is obviously incredibly driven, as we saw you know, and that's why he turned up kind of late on in big games when they needed him because he's an incredibly driven guy but if what if you're a little bit soft, what if you're yeah. one of these guys who isn't necessarily the most determined player uh, and if you look at the squad list, I think there's a few that fall into that category yeah um there has been some sort of uh thing there about self policing the dressing room Jamal Loseres has talked about it before to martin hardy um and that also strikes me as, as slightly interesting that Rappers decided that, you know, the players can can work it out and deal with each other and deal with themselves. Um, and when we kind of, when, it, when it, there's no evidence of it working, I'm not sure at what point you take it into your own hands. But it's an interesting one nonetheless. I think Newcastle are a side to watch just because, you know, if they start sliding, then things tend to get very noisy up there. Um, the other games at 3 p.m. on Saturday, Brighton versus Burnley, we can probably gloss over that's a nil-nil. Chelsea beat Southampton 1-0. Marcus Alonso's goal. Uh, Watford one, Huddersfield 4 Jack. Now, I know you've had a little bit of a soft spot for Huddersfield since you saw them a few weeks ago. Uh, what do we make of, you know, is this just one of those mid two mid-table teams meet? Any result could happen. But Huddersfield winning 4-1 at Vicarage Road is a peculiar one.
3: Yeah, honestly, I don't know. I mean, Huddersfield, it's weird. I've seen Huddersfield a few times this year and they've alternated so much in terms of what they've produced, like I saw them, I saw them at West Ham and they were terrible losing 2-0, didn't offer anything. I saw them play really well holding off Man City until like the 88th minute and then but losing 2-1. They got destroyed 5-0 at Arsenal the other week. Um, so I'm not really sure. I mean clearly they've got probably, you'd have to say they've got the worst squad in the Premier League. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Even worse than... I think
2: Newcastle is quite poor. I was looking at it earlier on. Yeah. But I said yeah. this before, it looks like a championship squad. It
3: does. It does. I, t- well, I, w- I guess the difference is that Newcastle have got established championship experience. Yeah. Whereas Huddersfield have got like these foreign players I've never heard of, and <laughs> Dean Whitehead, who I have heard of.
2: Yeah, Moy. Uh, I, I never I don't know how to say his name, but he's good. Yeah. Uh, scored two at the weekend. Um,
3: but clearly, Va- so I think because of that, and also because Wagner knows that he can't, he can't give a hundred percent to every game. Like when they went to Arsenal, he made six changes and they lost five nil. But he would probably knew that would happen.
2: Uh, Mick McCarthy, remember when he did that at Waltz? Right, got fined for it. In fact, but didn't I he? I think
3: that clearly Wagner is good at. He's good at like coming up with a tactical plan. He's good, the players will completely believe him. He's smart. He looks like he can, he can outthink other managers. I don't. I don't. I genuinely don't know what's happened to Watford. Yeah, why they why they've gone this bad. But uh, it looks like. I mean, it would be such. I think if Wagner could keep Huddersfield up, it would be the the greatest keeping of a team up that I can remember in the last few years. Interesting, interesting. Um,
2: Stoke nil, West Ham three. Uh, Mark Hughes is not the most popular man in the Potteries. It seems a lot of their fans certainly don't want him to go. He had a dreadful end to last season, which rent really under the radar because everyone's obviously talking about the top of the table and relegation and by that point Stoke had got enough points it they didn't get dragged into it quite this year uh they haven't been much better but they got was it one big one big win um on TV who was that against jack
0: they Chelsea? drew with they drew with united which was impressive and like played quite well when I they did it.
2: it was a monday night game they played well against one of the big six basically and yeah. then everyone's oh no it was hesse uh scored the winning goal arsenal, against arsenal was it? Arsenal. it was it was stoke arsenal yeah. So that bought him some time. And I actually said at the time, it's one of those things where like the primetime TV games do seem to have more of an effect on people's futures than, than they should do. But this was dreadful. And, and David Moyes is, is kind of reviving West Ham a little. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark Hughes is, is dragging Stoke down. Do we think Hughes is safe for now?
0: It's getting it's getting touch and go, isn't it? I think with Hughes. I think um, The board
2: likes him. That's the thing we do know.
0: Yeah, and that's hopefully going to buy him some time. And I think he does deserve a bit of time. He's he's done reasonably well there. He had, I think, three ninth-place finishes in a row, then finished 13th, I think, last season, 14th. Yeah. Um, and I think he's earned himself a little bit of time. Um, and there's a good enough squad there where you feel like they're not really in serious peril, like perhaps some of the other teams around them on the same points, just because they've got that little bit of quality, mm-hmm. like particularly in attack. Saying that, I think it sounds like Stoke fans are losing a little bit of patience now and the football hasn't been that exciting it's not Shakiri's Shakiri's scored one or two lovely goals but other than that it's kind of been a little bit um yeah a little bit disappointing I think and I think I get the impression that perhaps he's running out of time did you see Man City Tottenham I saw the highlights of Manchester City Tottenham yeah
2: but you saw the whole thing Jack as did I um I don't know how many more ways we need to find to say that Man City are really really good
3: yeah, I mean, I don't think, it, it, it's weird. I don't think it was, in terms of finishing, it wasn't City's, it wasn't City's best performance. Even though they scored four goals against against such a good team, they did only really start scoring at the very end. And fr- right until De Bruyne scored, I was still wondering, well, they could blow it like they did in the game in that fixture last year, which they dominated and drew two all. But in terms of like dominating the middle of the pitch and getting into scoring positions, They were incredible. Like they were so. Like I thought, Sane against Trippy was an absolute mismatch. That was probably De Bruyne's best performance this season with a lot of competition. You know, uh, Liverpool at home, Arsenal at home, Stoke at home, Chelsea away, um, Manchester United away. So he was he was brilliant. I mean, it was. We're kind of running out of things to say, but it was it was just a performance on another level. Like it was, you know, Spurs have been, I mean, Spurs have been genuinely the best team over the last two and a bit years. Uh, and City took them to pieces. And if it had, if it'd fin- and it sounds stupid, but if it finished eight nil, that would have been fair enough.
2: Uh, if you are bored of reading about how good Manchester City are, um, one, I suggest you get rid of the internet for the next six months. Um, but we also, we, we do have a piece from Miguel Delaney today who um, can't be here because you know, he can't organize himself. Um, He's did a, he's done a piece which is more behind the scenes, isn't it, with with Pep Guardiola and um, kind of Pep's doubts last year and how kind of he's turned around. What was it, a fairly flawed team a year ago, um, which had some big holes and big problems. How he's turned that round with a lot of really uh, well sourced information, uh, which is quite an interesting read. And also, Jonathan Liu uh, from Australia did a column on Friday about what is beautiful football, kind of triggered by all of this praise of of Man City, but. Bringing in, obviously, you know the definition itself. Long ball football uh, can be beautiful, as he describes Dennis Bergkamp's uh, famous goal. So, uh, if you want something to read, then check those out. Obviously, in the, the usual places. Super Sunday uh, saw two fairly regulation results, I guess. Man United beating West Brom two-one, Liverpool beating Bournemouth four-nil. Uh, Lawrence, you saw West Brom Man United. Mm. What do you make of? Oh, what do you make of Alan Pardew's? West Brom. He hasn't exactly um, hasn't exactly given them a boost that they needed.
0: No, it feels kind of like nothing's changed. That's the strange thing about it. I think you feel like Pardi of that cluster of you know the old merry-go-round mm-hmm. managers. You feel like he's perhaps the more exciting, attacking-minded manager of the of the group, or certainly the one that keeps the least clean sheets, anyway. And yet. They still seem quite defensive. I mean, in that game, they started, I know it's against United, but they started, I think um, Krokoviak, uh, Livermore and um, Jakob in midfield, like three defensive midfielders. And I know Pulis did a lot of that. He did three defensive midfielders yeah. in front of a back five. This was three in front of a back four, but it was still very defensive minded. And they just, they, the midfield just feels like it lacks any spark, any dynamism. Oliver Burke was quite good, the Scottish. From Leipzig, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he looked, he did look quite exciting but again, looks quite raw, doesn't feel like he's got a huge amount of end product. So you just look at it and think, has anything changed? I suppose January is the time when you think, right, Campadio, that's that's why his managers get brought in. Well, he, a, he, got of a time, lot of,
2: he actually got a lot of money at Palace. Like, you, you don't really think about it, but he broke the Palace transfer record numerous times. They bought him Benteke, they bought him Kabai, they bought him all these guys. Got Zaha um, on, a, on a massive new contract and stuff. So, you know, he has spent money and he's probably going to need to spend money Albion. they got Nicky Hammond there as du- a sporting director um, who's been around the block. So be interested to see how they did. Any thoughts on United from you?
0: Yeah, it just feels like there's a kind of simmering feeling that things aren't quite right. I mean, Lukaku scored another header similar to his one against Bournemouth and didn't celebrate again. Mourinho afterwards put it down to the fact that he was playing against his former club. It just doesn't really <laughs> add up because he didn't he used to yeah, play for yeah, Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, so it's a strange one. And I think... It just I mean Neville. I think Gary Neville was commenting was it yesterday that about how United just haven't really moved on They had I think seven players started that game from the Savalik's Ferguson era And it's a kind of signal which I completely agree with that transfer policy just hasn't been very successful in the past few yeah. years um, Very poor recruitment. Yeah, just poor recruitment and I think Mourinho's got a good track record actually buying sort of right-sized pegs for holes mm-hmm. and, and making them work Um but even some of, I mean, Mkhitaryan was a Mourinho purchase and it seems like he wants to boot him out the door now. So
2: Yeah, it looks like um, Dortmund are leading the chase for him. Mm. We think United will go for a left back in January. Uh, possibly Alexandro from Juventus, who um, certainly was very, very good at uh, Porto, but has apparently gone off the board a bit this season. Uh, the second game, Jack, Liverpool thumped Bournemouth 4-0.
1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: I watched this and as good as I think Liverpool are, I think Mohamed Salah, you, people talk about him being in good form. I think he's just a really good player. I think we can just say he's a really good player. He's got more in product now than he had before.
3: Yeah, I don't see any reason to suspect that this won't continue. Like, he's got, what, 14 Premier League goals so far halfway through the season? Like, you would now expect him to get high 20s, wouldn't you? With
2: these players, kind of, it becomes... You you get to a point, basically, where you realise that it's class, not form, sometimes with with players. And and often you remember an individual goal or a single moment where you're like, oh, like this guy is for real. Um, And I remember seeing it with Mbappe last year and being like, wow, I mean, this isn't just some sort of teenager that's getting hyped up. And, and Salah has kind of got that thing now where you know what's coming, but you can't stop what's coming. Um, actually, Raphael Honigstein uh, made a really good comparison with Arjen Robin over the weekend. He said about Salah, he goes, you know what he's going to do, but you just can't stop it. Um, and I thought Liverpool's attack, as we have talked about numerous times, was excellent. But for me, this game was uh, basically a dully uncompetitive game played out in a poor atmosphere in a small stadium. And it, you know... It just left me a bit cold, really. um What is this a fear of? Of if the top six get too good, that we're going to have more and more of these games where they're so uncompetitive to the point of boredom.
0: Well, uh, to Jack made this point earlier. Like you said, that a lot of Premier League games at the moment, and you I think you cited Arsenal Newcastle, where one team dominates the ball and mm-hmm. another doesn't. And the interesting thing about City Tottenham, where perhaps when we look back, is that that was a game where actually Tottenham opened up and they went for it. and It was toe to toe, and they got smashed. Yeah, and it leaves you thinking, right? Well, really, you can only come into these games against the top six, and you've you've got to you've got to just hold your hands up and say we're not gonna we're not gonna touch the ball. Do you think it would have been better if Bournemouth had parked the bus? Well,
2: you know what, <laughs> this is the thing. So I've seen some praise for Eddie Howe, and I like Eddie Howe, and I think he's good. Um, and he was basically being praised for. Having a go and, and, and trying to beat Liverpool, which is fine. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's one of those things where like, most of the people praising him were were Liverpool slanted, let's say, kind of local press up there or people who cover Liverpool saying, you know, it was, it was a joy to watch watch Bournemouth try and beat Liverpool. A lot of teams just come and park the bus. Now, that, it feels one, like a dig at Jose Mourinho, which is fine, I get it. Um, you know, it's not I didn't think Man United should have gone and part of the bus against Liverpool, but I, I Think teams should play the way that is going to give them the best chance possible of winning and I, I don't think Trying to take Liverpool on like that is necessarily the way to do it, you know Every time you just saw them getting in behind 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 if you try and play a high line against Liverpool You're gonna get carved. I just think that's bad management. I really do think that's just poor um, from a coach who is quite good. And I, again, I see the romantic point of view and the the ideal behind it, but you got to do what's going to give you the best chance of a result sometimes. And I mean, yeah, of course, it all comes down to result over process, I guess, in this point of view, because they got smashed. But for me, it's just a weird... It, I know I, I, just, I was left cold by the game. Um, it just it wasn't in the slightest bit competitive from like 44 minutes a 3-0 down. So the second half was just... That's nah. well, kind a of classic
3: walk. Bournemouth, isn't it? They've got a terrible record against the big teams, which I think is probably in part because of the way they play. Um, but then I, I suppose the, the counter argument would be they've had their success by playing expansive mm-hmm. football. Uh, and that that is proven to get results against teams of roughly their level, which is why they are still in the Premier League, which is why they got to the Premier League in the first place and are still here kind of three or four years on. And now maybe Eddie Howard would say, look, it's... Ex- you know, that kind of football is not something that you can turn on and off like a tap, Like you can't just do it. You can't do it against three, uh, 15 teams and then not against the other six. So yeah. My maths are wrong there, but you know what I mean? Um, And therefore, we've got to, you know, even if we're going to get battered a few times by the good teams, we've got to establish our method of playing and we will get, you know, we will be rewarded because we'll know how to do it better when you play against the teams who it will work against.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I see it. It's just... I just didn't enjoy it basically. I was watching the game and I thought Liverpool were great in attack and this is obviously not, it's not a black mark against Liverpool at all because I think they were good and they did exactly what they were supposed to do which is win the game comprehensively. But it just meant that the actual product we were watching, people could switch off at half time which is I think a bad thing fundamentally for the Premier League which is trying to be, you're trying to be an entertainment product but at the same time you need to keep it competitive. Competitive parity is, one of the crucial things that people love about sport, I think, um, unless your own team's playing, in, in which case you want to see them win 7-0. And
0: you benefit, I feel, from this weird two-tiered league, which we've got now, mm-hmm. is that you don't really have those teams who just have nothing to play for. You know at the beginning of the season they're just going to finish 12th, and that's it. Like every team now. Yeah, even Everton had a relegation scare. Exactly. Mm.
2: Yeah. No, I see that. I see that. And actually, with all the games talked about now, that brings us to uh, the league table. And there's a couple of, uh, you know, I didn't just want to rattle through it. I think... <laughs> Because we've got, what, 18 games down, so we're, we're halfway pretty much, minus one. Um, so we're getting a look at what the Premier League roughly will look like in the season. Now, obviously, this is nowhere near uh, set in stone, um, but there's a rough outline. And so what I was going to do, is was going to chuck a couple of teams at you, and you tell me if they're going to finish higher or lower than their current position. And what I'll also do is I'll pick pairs of teams, and you tell me which team uh, will finish higher. So... I'll start near the top. Uh, Jack, Manchester United are in second place. Do you see them finishing? I uh, Presumably not higher, but do you think they will hold on to second? Or do you think they could regress in the second half of the season?
3: I think they'll drop down, but not by much because I think that Chelsea will have a better second half of the season than them. So I'm, I'm going to go for them coming third.
2: Mm-hmm. So you've got Chelsea rising yeah. to take second place from Man United. Interesting. Uh, do you think United, well, you know, you think United will buy in January and, and still regress?
3: Um, yeah, I think they probably will buy in January, but I think that the, I think, I mean, they're a Mourinho team in their second season, and that means they have unravelled potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know, particularly given that it will become increasingly clear every week that City are going to win the league and they're not, and that gives the players a bit of a decision to make about how. Much about whether or not they want another season of Mourinho ultimately. Yeah, is yeah. That, I mean, the way the modern football works is that is their decision and his future is in their hands. Uh, so let's see how much they like him. Liverpool
2: and Arsenal, currently fourth and fifth, Lawrence. Hmm. Who's pick, who's going to finish R out of those two?
0: That's a good question.
2: I Just one point in it at the moment for Liverpool. So it really is a case of who has the second half better than the other.
0: I feel like... I feel like Liverpool, actually. I think if they keep Coutinho in January... Mm-hmm. Um, Which we largely expect, I think. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with Liverpool, and I've felt like this for a while, they're kind of like a, a Van Dijk and an Abbey Cater away from actually being a really good team and, mm-hmm. being, and being a team that's far less streaky than they are. Um, whereas Arsenal just haven't been convinced by for about the last 10 years and probably not going to be after January. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, I feel like Liverpool are in a place where... If they can keep Coutinho, they do have that attack and firepower that we've talked about. And yes, they're going to have these kind of stubborn games where they end up drawing nil-nil with West Brom and you're kind of thinking, what's going on? They're going to have a lot of games where they blow teams away. And I think that'll be enough to finish in the top four. I think they're going to be the best ever team to come fourth in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah,
3: they're absolutely. amazing. Like, they're so... Like, Bournemouth was boring, but also it was... Like, the, the football itself was brilliant. Could attack And football. it was completely, like, of a part with, like, 12 other Liverpool games we've seen in the last few months uh but nevertheless they are probably not going to i mean maybe they'll come third but you'd be surprised if they came second wouldn't you you
2: see arsenal and spurs a lot jack arsenal tottenham who finishes higher out those two
3: well i i don't know i would always have said spurs but the last few weeks maybe i'm going to say arsenal i think i think arsenal have kind of found their level now like they're playing like ersel's playing brilliantly the defense has had some pretty bad days, but I think it's uh, it, w- it, w- it will basically be okay. There is a few question marks in midfield. Lacazette's been good, but I kind of I do think more or less you know what you are going to get with Arsenal. Whereas the Spurs, I just don't know. Like I think there is always I think I don't think the Wembley thing is settled yet. I think that like a lot of teams, they know they're going to go further in Europe than in the Premier League, and that will affect their Premier League form. I think there is question marks over key players' fitness and futures. Uh, and so, I don't know, I am finding, I'm finding it quite difficult to get a kind of consistent read on Tottenham at the moment. And that means that while I'm pretty sure that Arsenal will be fourth, roughly, I think that Tottenham could be second or sixth.
2: Okay, so, uh, I mean, I, just, I feel like I didn't really get an answer, but I like it anyway. Um, I'm going to head down into the fog that is most of the Premier League. Uh, so, how about Brighton and Hove Albion, currently 13th have spent a lot of time uh, in the upper reaches of the league, but I believe they're six without a win now. Uh, what do you think, Lawrence? Brighton up or down?
0: I think up. I think... Um, I've watched quite a bit of Brighton this year, and Chris hutton has got them really well organised. I know they're in a terrible run of form, mm-hmm. but they are well organised. They don't concede a huge amount of chances. And in Pascal Gross, they have a player who can create opportunities, both dead ball and and... In open play, very
2: wisely tipped by this podcast. Someone on this podcast, I can't remember who it was, uh, to be one of the surprises of the season.
0: Really? Yeah. Was that recent tip or
2: no? No, (laughs) it was uh, that was pre-season. I I know someone who works Brighton, and he said, "Watch out for Pascal Gross because we got him for about three million euros, and it's a joke of a price. He's Mm going to be worth about ten times that." And uh, pretty much exactly what's happened.
0: Yeah, I mean that's been proved true. We all know about the ninety-five chances he created in the Bundesliga last year. Ingolstadt, and yeah. So he's a really good player. And I think Glenn Murray's actually found a bit of form, which is good to see. And Anthony Knockout hasn't quite kicked on from his form last season, but he's clearly a really talented player. He's had little moments. And you feel like if he can just find like, find that little bit of consistency, they've actually got the makings of a really good attacking unit. When, I, when I've local. seen him,
2: I thought he's been great. They really like um, the Colombian lad, Izquierdo as well. Yeah. I think he's really good. So, you know, sometimes I, I think they are a little defensive. Um, and obviously one of their big things is they, were, they desperately wanted a striker just before the deadline shut in August and they didn't get him. And uh, I love Glenn Murray, but uh, they are a little bit, little bit lacking a center forward with him and Tom Hamed. Um That
0: was a bit of a shit. When you compare the, the brilliant signing of, of gross, which yeah. seemed like a real kind of master straight, The fact that they just went through the whole of the summer and couldn't, couldn't nail down a striker seemed like a real, they're very picky with
2: their recruitment. Though. Like they, they they heavily use analytics and stuff. Mm um they identify value guys and and basically if there's not someone they're not going to over go and overpay for someone and which I, which one agent said to me he, he thought might might cost them because sometimes in the premier league you're just going to have to get the guy you know sometimes he's got to just buckle up and say right okay we're going to overpay by two million just because this guy could keep us up which will save us 200 million um but the, the big thing you know is if they get a striker and they can start scoring more goals because they have only West Brom and Swansea have scored fewer goals than this season, and I think it's interesting. Personally, I think they might uh, they might dip further. I think 13th. I mean, they're only two points ahead of, of 17th, so it wouldn't take that much. But they're an interesting case, certainly. What do you think of? Uh, let's do Stoke City, Jack. They're currently 17th, just outside the relegation zone, one point outside the relegation zone. So, if you say lower, you are saying that Stoke will get relegated this season.
3: I don't think they'll get relegated. I think they'll probably stay up. Uh I'm not sure if it'll be with Mark Hughes. Because um, they do have like they have the they have the resources to stay up, like they have the players. They have their squad is one of the few of the teams around them where you say that's definitely a sort of tenth place yeah, yeah, yeah. squad. Like they've got good defenders, they've got a good young keeper, they've got players that can score goals, uh they've got Joe Allen who's one of the best midfielders. They've got some genuine quality in right, there, yeah, you know. I like, really a bit
2: like Palace, I think, that squad.
3: But but that ultimately is why you could look. You, it seems to me like he should go because he's been there what five years. This is his fifth season, I think. Mm-hmm. And the team is going backwards. Like they've lost all that kind of. That's the word
2: you hear a lot. He's taking us backwards. solidity,
3: and their most like their most effective way of scoring goals this year has been crosses to Crouchy.
2: <laughs> Which is uh, in 2017 a pretty damning indictment of any team. Um, I'll just write off a couple of others, and I want quick. Uh, one one line answers, not just one word, because that's kind of pointless. Uh, Burnley in sixth. Well,
3: they're going to go down.
2: Yeah. Jack? Yeah.
3: Uh, down, but only by a bit. One you're on, you're on that thing.
2: Still a, a top half finish for Burnley is an unbelievable achievement. Leicester City in eighth.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe about there. Maybe ninth, tenth. I think top half. Yeah, ninth or tenth.
2: Uh, I, I mean, I thought they were rubbish on Saturday, but uh, by all accounts, that was just a bad game after a really good run of form. Watford in ninth, Jack. That's a poor runner form.
3: Yeah, I'd say, again, slightly lower down. I think they could have done, but I think the squad, like the thinness of the squad has been exposed. And also I think that I wonder if the kind of unity has as well been slightly affected.
0: West Ham are in 15th. What do you think? So difficult, isn't it? I mean, Jack's pointing up. Yeah, I I believe in the Moisiah. I can't believe (laughs) I ever doubted them.
3: They're brilliant. They're so good.
2: Uh, well, you know, it would be, it would be quite a story, you know, if, if Moyes did kind of revive that team because it's such a weird squad and a weird setup, like with the, the Davids getting involved and stuff. I just don't, I don't know what to make of West Ham, but you know, if, if Moyes kind of earns that job on a permanent basis, uh, then maybe that'll be the time that he completely crumples.
0: On my final day at a previous, uh, employer, employer, yes. I wrote about, yeah, that it was Moyes just starting his first game as yeah. Watford, uh, and I said, that I predicted that I felt the one thing they really lacked is any semblance of organisation in the last few years under Billich, like a real semblance of being drilled on the training ground, like not that kind of team. And I feel like that's the one thing Moyes possibly has brought is that kind of, and I felt if he can get that, if they can buy into his just, we're drilled, we're organised, we're hard to beat, they've actually got as we've talked about before, those attacking players in Atavich and so on.
2: Lawrence can... Strong is an absolute pro by bringing up opinions in the past that are now correct, <laughs> uh, yes. as, uh, you know, is absolutely and positively uh, promoted on this podcast. Uh, and any bad ones obviously get quickly forgotten. Um, Jacko, West Brom in 19th. Do you believe in Pardiola or the Moisaya?
3: Um, Moisaya, definitely over Pardiola. Um I'm not completely sold that they will stay up. I mean, they've got, um, I don't know. I just wonder whether, I mean, if you, by getting Parju in for that squad, you're taking a big risk on, you're basically punting on Pardew's ability to impress and motivate p- the players. But it doesn't, I mean, what if that doesn't happen? Like what if- They've won two games from 18 this season. What if the players are like, actually I'm not having him, then what? Yeah, is I mean, else?
2: he relies a lot on the players buying into him. Yeah, massively. and uh, I'm not sure. That I'm not exactly sure if they're going to do that. Uh, it's a very pure squad. Is the other thing I think is you know it's built to be that team. And, and Pard certainly prides himself on that his teams are are flowing and expansive, and he likes to bring um, chaos uh, in attack and all these things. Salomon Rondon, ahead of a very functional flat midfield, is not necessarily. Sort of thing that's going to get you more goals, which is what they need. I say only Swansea have scored fewer goals than them this season. So I too feel West Brom might go. West Brom Swansea, and who will be the 13 relegated? If you're going to pick one,
3: I don't want to say Huddersfield after being nice about David Wagner, but they um, look at that bottom uh, half. Looking at the table, I am in fact going to say Huddersfield. Huddersfield, Bright- Brighton and Bournemouth are just going to scrape it.
2: Yeah, I think I think I, I'm going to say Bournemouth uh, with West Brom and Swansea. I can't remember what I said in pre-season, but I'm fairly sure I included Burnley on that list. So um, don't listen to that. Okay, yeah, because next Monday is um, Christmas Day. Apparently, uh, if you celebrate that, then congratulations. I'll be working, so uh, you know, enjoy yourselves. Um but yeah that's, so that'll be us in the new year 2nd of January uh, for your Indie Football Podcast Um for a Christmas present for us obviously we don't charge you for this podcast so the least you can do is subscribe uh, on your favourite podcatcher if you could uh, review preferably five stars um, leave us a little rating uh, review kind of nice comments um, advice um, hairstyles anything and uh, yeah that's pretty much it tell your friends um we've been the Indie Football Podcast for 2017 uh, we will see you uh, next year when you know hopefully there's been more football so uh thank you to lawrence on your debut how do you think it went uh solid out of 10 seven no it's it about a five cool uh, jack what about yours
3: uh well, what would i give lawrence
2: yeah six? yeah yeah six okay so five and a half average rating pretty good jack thank you for coming up from from your place uh we'll see you in the new year can't wait and thank you to producer matt murphy thank you to our friends at Acast and to yeah everyone else happy new year happy christmas and goodbye